Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri, and today I'm going to talk about creative nonfiction. You may not have heard of that term before. I, I never did until I uh, heard this or I read this article by Louis Manand in The New Yorker. And the article is all about this. Well, it's about a lot of things, actually. The article is really focused on this period from 1945 to 1965 when the U.S. and Soviet Union were in the middle of the Cold War, really the beginnings of the Cold War. And he's, he's really going into the concept of creativity in that article. I'm not talking about the article, really. I'm talking about, in this podcast, a notion from the article called creative nonfiction the article itself, by the way, is called The Origins of Creativity, and it's a good one. I've used Manon's work a few times for this podcast. I, I, I love his writing, but I didn't want to focus on the article because I just was fascinated by this topic, creative nonfiction. What is it? Is it, uh, is it important to think about? And it kind of comes to the question or comes down to the question is what we're reading when it comes to nonfiction. Let's say it's historical event. He gives an example in the article from a, a famous book by David McCullough about John Adams and his life. You know, is what we're reading about, say, John Adams, is it true? What's true? What's false? You know, is that as readers, I think we kind of expect it all to be true. But the fact is, if you're going to write 200, 300, 400 pages, if you're going to have a TV show, for, for example, 10 episodes on someone like John Adams. You're going to make up some stuff in order to tell the story. So I asked a question and I, I grapple with the question of, you know, what is true in history and should we be concerned with creative nonfiction or is it something we should just accept? So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Classics Podcast. If you are interested in the ideas we bring up on this podcast, John and I have been going back and forth with different topics on our blog, theclassicspodcast.com. You just have to scroll down a little bit and you'll see different articles from the from the blog. I think you'll like it if you like this podcast. So it's just theclassicspodcast.com and it's fun. We've had an audience already for it and it's really cool to express ourselves through our writing uh, as well as podcasting. And so we've been working on that for a few weeks now. We, we, we actually had an idea of doing it a few years ago when we first started the podcast, but we just didn't have time. And now it's much more doable for us. So thanks for listening. Please check out the blog, theclassicspodcast.com. And I hope you enjoyed this episode on creative nonfiction. Thanks for listening. I'll see you after the music. Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri, and I just got done watching a great Kings game. So Sacramento Kings beat the Golden State Warriors 118-99. to Such a fun game if you're a Kings fan, and the series is going seven games. So John and I have actually been blogging about this. If you are interested in sports, if you're interested in this series, in basketball, the Kings... Check out theclassicspodcast.com. We've gone back and forth, written a few articles. We had one pretty long blog where we just like had this exchange of ideas. And I, I think it's a fun one. And we're going to have a part two 
because uh, we got some good feedback. So yeah, go ahead and check it out. It's a it's a fun little project that we're doing, theclassicspodcast.com. And this series is just amazing. I mean, one of the best series I've seen. I've been watching basketball since 1991. And this is one of the best, for sure. Even if the Kings end up losing the series, it's just really good basketball, good pace, very entertaining, just a high level of, of basketball. And so it's uh, we John and I podcasted about the Kings months ago because we had this feeling that they were pretty good. And turns out they, they are. And so, again, whether they get through the first round or not, it's a special season if you're a Sacramento Kings fan, especially since it's been a while, right? It's been a while since the Kings were good. So fun season, fun game tonight. The actual podcast episode, nothing to do with that. I was actually reading an article in The New Yorker titled The Origins of Creativity, and it's by Louis Menand. I like Menand as an author. I've talked about him a few times, but I'm not going to talk about the entire article, though it's, it's very good. I do recommend the article, The Origins of Creativity. Basically, I'll give a quick rundown. Basically, it goes into capitalism and how the Cold War inspired a creative movement in the U.S., specifically from 1945 to 1965. And, but what really interested me and what I'm going to be focusing on is this idea from the article that Manon mentions early in the piece, and it's called creative nonfiction. So let me quickly define that. It's basically when you're reading, let's say, uh, a biography, and he actually gives an example of David McCullough's work on John Adams, which was eventually made into an HBO series called John Adams. The series is good. The book is good. But his point is he, he, gives an, he gives an excerpt of the book and he says, like, you know, what do we really know about John Adams' life? You know, you have primary sources, you have documents. But in order to write a biography, a lot of things are made up. And so are we comfortable with that? Are we comfortable with just making up stuff, you know, in order to get to the actual truth, the actual truthful, factual events. I, I think it's significant because it really leads to the question, what's true when you're reading history? I mean, what's true? What's false? Maybe it's, you know, maybe false is a strong word to use. I guess you could say, you know, what's created in order to tell a story, like in the John Adams book. Maybe that's a better way of looking at it. I mean, I don't know if it matters to you. I Personally, I'm kind of trying to figure out if it matters to me because when I read the article, I was really reflecting on the topic in a serious way. As a history teacher, I'm always engaging with the topic. And you know sometimes, you know, there's a lot of interpretation in actual events. So how comfortable are we with those interpretations? And the idea of creative fiction, it really did get me thinking, you know, as a society, we engage with many types of this genre. If you think about it, we, we consume TV shows, movies that delve into historical events. We, we read books and articles. Even the lecture may have creative nonfiction elements in it, or even like this podcast, right? Does that diminish what we're engaging with? Personally, I think it's natural. I just, I just think it's a normal part of the process. We cannot know exactly what happened in the past. That's that's just impossible. You know, you're never going to know exactly what happened. You know, when you're talking about, let's say, weather, for example, this was included in the article. 
you might know a little bit about the weather on that day, July 2nd, 1772, let's say. But if someone's writing in detail about it, there's probably a lot of, you know, made up stuff there, right? So we're always sort of playing with these ideas. And, and honestly, I also think, you know, whenever we engage with the past personally, we're always simultaneously engaging with ourselves and our own present moment. So if you think about it, you're going to naturally con connect the history that you're writing, let's say, or, or learning or watching or even reading with your own life. That's just a natural pop process. You know, even as a consumer, which a lot of us are, right? You're consuming this podcast. You might be consuming, reading a book, whatever. You may pause, and I, I do this all the time. You may pause a book or stop reading a book in order to connect it to what you've experienced, right? So even a learner is, by doing that, creatively coming up with something out of the content that you're learning. So you're doing that as a reader, as a consumer. And if the learner is doing this, is actively creating, no, why not the producer of the material? I don't say why not like in a subjective way, honestly. I'm not a relativist. I say it because I genuinely believe that it's probably just a natural process. It's impossible to do it any other way. I also genuinely believe in objective truth. And I'll get to that later. But I just wanted to state that because I don't want you to think I'm just being a relativist about this whole subject. But in practical, realistic terms, the idea of writing a biography, let's say, or writing about a historical event, it really becomes a necessity to fit the objective facts with the ability to narrate a story, right? You have to, and I'll repeat that, you have to fit the objective facts, those primary sources you get, with some type of tools that the, you know, the writer needs to use. And that's where I, you know, I want to go next. The goal, it really has to be the truth if it's nonfiction. There's no doubt about that. The goal has to be a primary focus of what actually happened, which you would use sources, obviously, sort secondary, primary, ideally primary sources to sort of build the foundation for so that, that's my take, actually. That's just my take in general. I find the topic, you know, just fascinating, both as a writer, a teacher of history, and a consumer. I'm a big consumer of historical content. I just think that's the truth. You know, and another point I want to make also is, is based on the learner-consumer side of this whole thing, because I do think it's vital to this discussion, and we tend to just focus on, oh, what did the writer do? What did the... What did the creator do that was correct or incorrect? But, you know, we have responsibility ourselves. We need to always, pers you know, all of us have to individually always look at what's being presented with a very healthy dose of skepticism. We tend to read or watch something and just assume that we're digesting the truth. And we do this all the time. Why? You know, why do we think that? It may be true, that documentary you watched, that history book you read, but it also may be false. Or it's possibly a combination, you know, partially true with some exaggeration. That's very common, actually, in a lot of nonfiction. So, you know, can't, just think about it. Can you think of something you've consumed that sort of fit into this category? I mean, we oftentimes do that. And if it goes with our political views or whatever views we have, we tend to go along with it and we're okay with it. 
but a lot of times it's not to me it's not good to just pretend when we agree that you know this our skepticism just goes away it's not okay to just shelve it if you know what i mean so i wanted to give an example because i thought i wanted to talk about this for a few probably like two months now i actually have an example that i think is related to creative nonfiction. Because I think creative nonfiction isn't just when you're creating a document and coming up with ideas, trying to make a story sound more interesting. It's also in what you don't say because you're creatively ignoring or intentionally ignoring certain aspects in order to come up with whatever narrative you want to tell, right? And so, I actually, I have a story and I want to kind of share it with you guys. I went to a wrestling event with my son. Actually, I went to two wrestling events. They were both in San Francisco. Really fun. They were AEW events. One was at the Cow Palace, which is cool because the the Cow Palace is a historic pro wrestling venue. And I also love going to the Cow Palace every year because I go to the Dickens Fair, which I podcasted about, and it's at the Cow Palace. So it was pretty cool to see how they changed the venue up for the for the wrestling event. That's just a side note. So the Cow Palace, I went on a Friday, and then on a Sunday, my son and I went to the Chase Center, which is a new Warriors stadium. Again, both events were great, but at the end of the the pay per view, which was a Chase Center event, one of the main wrestlers, he threw water at a child in the front row. It was intentional too. The audience was very confused by it. Many of us actually missed the moment, but I was seriously really close to the actual thing that occurred. I was just a few rows away from the the whole incident. And I noticed the kid, I didn't see the water incident occur, but I saw the kid because I was so close to him and he was hysterical. So this child, he's like my son's age, is you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. He was hysterical. They were trying to calm him down nothing was working and i was just confused all of us were confused but then later on i watched what happened i heard a podcaster talk about it or reference it so then i looked it up on youtube and i, I saw what actually happened so i emailed a very prominent pro wrestling journalist because i really value this organization's work and i described what i saw i, I pushed them to reflect on their podcast because they do a really cool podcast where they answer a lot of emails. I pushed them to reflect on the appropriateness of the uh, what happened. You know, this performer who's being given a prominent role in the company doing something like harassing a child. It just because it was really inappropriate, especially a father who, to me, I have a, a child who's the same age and he's going to the event. He's trying to have fun. To see that occur, it's very disheartening. So I pushed them, you know, what do you think about this? You guys should discuss this. Now, I may have missed their discussion of it. I have to throw that out there right now. I may have missed it, but I did not notice the topic come up when I did listen and when I searched their website. So I thought it was kind of interesting that a podcast and a journalist journalistic website, I'm not going to say their name, but they basically refused to respond to what I was uh, saying. And I thought, that's interesting. You know, I kind of was thinking about that when I was when I was reading about creative nonfiction, because you can creatively leave out perspectives of events, of ideas. And maybe that's what happened when 
my email got you know shoved to the side and kind of ignored. I'm not sure, but it felt like it would have been a really interesting discussion and they were shelving it because maybe, I don't know, business interests or something else. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. That was my personal connection because I do think that this topic of creative nonfiction, it's not just how do we create in order to enhance a story and increase engagement. It's also related to how do we create while ignoring different sources, different facts in order to maybe prop up certain people or uh, push a certain agenda. And I think that's kind of, that's important in history. Actually, my students do a, uh, a lot of, they write a lot of essays around this time because they have their AP exams coming. And one of the ideas that is strongly pushed by the college board is to try to include what's missing from an essay or from, from a question or from a source or from a group of sources, you know. So basically historical questions, what's missing from these documents, let's say. When I had that event, when I experienced that event at the uh, wrestling pay-per-view and I emailed the podcasters about it and they ignored my voice, I felt like, you know what, that's intentionally missing from what's going on here. And, I, and it makes you wonder why. And that's that's unfortunate. But again, creative nonfiction, I'll just switch back to the main topic. Creative nonfiction, I think it can be a wonderful thing if used correctly, if it's rooted in truth, in real objectivity, and in creation. Creation is a good thing, right? So, But when it loses that connection to truth, we as consumers of whatever we're consuming are in big trouble. You know, whether it's the news, whether it's sports, whatever, we have to have, it has to be rooted in truth. So it can't be based on a, a certain type of relativism. It has to be rooted in truth. So let's say you want to enhance the John Adams story a little bit. You could talk about the weather all you want. You could talk about, you know, what led up to his conversation with Jefferson, as long as it's rooted in what actually happened. I think that's the key. So that's all I have to say about creative nonfiction. Maybe you want to check out the article by Louis Manon or you just want to look up the subject. It's kind of fascinating. And I think there is a philosophical question in that, in that idea. So thanks for listening to the Classics Podcast. Check out the blog, theclassicspodcast.com. We're doing a lot of work there and uh, it's fun for us. And I think if you like this podcast, you'll definitely like the blog. So thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you.